The chariot of the sun god has only one wheel, which is known as Samvatsara. The twelve months are calculated to be its twelve spokes. The six seasons are the sections of its rim, and the three Chaturmasya periods are its three-sectioned hub. One side of the axle carrying the wheel rests upon the summit of Mount Sumeru, and the other rests upon Manasatora mountain. Affixed to the outer end of the axle, the wheel continuously rotates on Manasatora mountain like the wheel of an oil pressing machine. There is no purpose, so we will read text 14. Translation As in an oil pressing machine, this first axle is atta attached to a second axle which is one fourth as long. 3,937,500 3, yojanas or 31,500,000 miles. The upper end of the second axle is attached to Dhruvaloka by a rope of wind. Again, no purpose, we will read text 15. My dear king, 
the carriage of the sun god's chariot is estimated to be 3,600,000 yojanas which is 28,800,000 miles long and one fourth as wide 900,000 yojanas or 7,200,000 miles. The chariot's horses which are named after Gayatri and other Vedic meters are harnessed by Arunadev to a yoke that is also 900,000 yojanas wide. This chariot continuously carries the sun god. Purport In the Vishnu Purana, it is stated, Gayatri cha brihati ushni, jagati trishtuk evacha, anushtuk pankteer iti uktas, chandam chandam si, chandam si harayo rave. The seven horses yoked to the sun god's chariot are named Gayatri, brihati, ushni, jagati, trishtuk, anushtuk, and pankti. These names of various Vedic meters designate the seven horses that carry the sun god's chariot. Om Ajnanati Nirandhasya Yananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Miritam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Mano Bhishtam Sthapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Svapadantikam Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangum Langayate Girim Yatripatamaham Vande Shri Guru Dinatalinam Vancha Kalipatarudhyascha Kripasindu Vyayevacha Patitanam Pavanipyo Vaishnavipyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gaurabhukta Vrinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna. So we have been discussing the movement of the sun since the past few verses. It's a very small chapter, we will get over in the next two verses. The so 19th verse is the last verse of this chapter. Um, so after describing the structure of the universe, Sukhdeva Goswami has now moved on, like toward in the end, towards the end of the previous chapter, he started glorifying the sun god and the position of the sun planet within this universe, like the supreme position it holds. And now he has gone in detail to describe the movements of that particular sun planet in this universe. So we have been hearing various speakers speak on different aspects of the sun god, its glories and the distances, it's quite an astronomical and philosophical discussion about all these distances and all that. I'm sure astrologers derive a lot from all these um, aspects of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So the sun god is also glorified, not only in the Bhagavatam like Sukhdeva Goswami is doing, but it is, he is also glorified in Brahma Samhita. In 5.52, he is glorified by Lord Brahma. Uh, we all know that was Yachakshu Desha Sarita Sakiladrahana. Uh, Raja Samasta Suramurti Rashesha Tejaha Yasyagnaya Samhriti Brahmati Samhriti Kala Chakro Govinda Madhi Purusham Tamaham Ujami Let me worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna who is the original person and under whose order the sun who is the king of all planets Raja Samasta so he is the king of all planets assumes immense power and heat. The sun represents the eye of the Lord. It says, no, Chakshuri. 
Um, so he represents the eye of the Lord and traverses its orbit in obedience of his order. Samriti Kalachakros. He is traversing in obedience of the Lord. So he's, his position as the king of every planet is glorified by Lord Brahma also in the Brahma Samhita. But obviously he is doing all this under the order of the Supreme Personality of God. So it's actually a glorification of the Supreme Lord. So this orbit which is mentioned in the Brahma Samhita which is carried out by the sun god in accordance with the will of the Lord is actually described in detail in this chapter 21 of um, Srimad Bhagavatam. So we've been studying the structure of the universe, we are studying the movement of the sun. The next um, chapter will be the orbits of the planets where we will go in detail about how each planet is orbiting with reference to the Dhruv star or the pole star. All this conversation also happened in the Mahabharata. So I was just, when I was preparing for the class, I was doing some research and there is a conversation just before the war starts in the Bhishma Parva of the Mahabharata. There is a Bhumi Parva within Bhishma Parva where Vyasadeva is coming and instructing Dhritarashtra. So there, you know, Vyasadeva has offered Dhritarashtra that he said that the war is about to start. So first Vyasadeva is describing, he is the father of Dhritarashtra. He is describing the whole setting. And then he is telling Dhritarashtra that I can give you Divya Chakshu to see the whole world. But Dhritarashtra refuses. He says, no, no, I don't. Because Vyasadeva starts predicting already to Dhritarashtra that all this, you know, massacre is going to happen and uh, so many people are going to die. So he starts predicting all this to Dhritarashtra and Dhritarashtra obviously being very attached to his sons, he says, no, no, I don't want this Divya Chakshu to see, but I would like to know what's going on in the battlefield. So then Vyasadeva says, okay, I will bless this Sanjaya. He will be able to sit here, see whatever is happening and he will describe it to you. So in that, when you know Vyasadeva is giving all these instructions to Dhritarashtra, over there also this whole structure of the universe is mentioned in detail. All the Varshas, you know, the Dvipas, Varshas that we have been studying in the previous chapter, which ocean is separating which Dvipa, everything is given in detail in that particular conversation between Vyasadeva, Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya. And it is also predicted, like I said, you know, there is a lot of predictions which Vyasadeva gives based on the movements. And he says, I can see the sun doing like this, I can see the planets doing like this, I can see this nakshatra, you know, the, the combinations of nakshatra which are not very good. So he says, I can see these nakshatras are combining to, it's all evil omens. That's basically what he's trying to tell Ritrasha and prepare him for the impending death of his sons. So, um, this, this orbit is also called as Kala Chakra, like we saw in the Brahma Samhita verse. So, this is how time is set into motion because of Surya Dev's orbit around the Manasatora and the Sumeru mountain. That is how time is set into motion and that is how we see um, days and nights like continuously go by and people come, people die, living entities create, they begin, they maintain they for some time and then they are there. So, um, he is the king of all planets. And why is he called the king of all planets? Raja Samastha Suramurti. He is called the king of all planets because no life is possible without sun on this earth planet. On this earth or in the entire universe for that matter. He is the giver of heat. He is the source of immense heat and he is the source of immense light. So, um, even the, you know, the power of sight, like some people have very good eyesight. I have poor one, as you can see from my glasses. But some people have very good eyesight. But even that eyesight is useless if there is no sunlight. Like in the darkness, if it's pitch dark, the best eyesight person also cannot see. So he is the giver of heat and light and no life 
is can exist without the sun and therefore if we see because he is rotating in the manasathura mountain and the loka loka mountains which we read about in the previous chapter so the sunlight only he goes till there beyond loka loka mountain there is darkness full darkness and therefore there is no life also over there so we read how when krishna was taking arjuna to see mahavishnu to see vishnu to retrieve the sons of the brahman we see that when he goes actually beyond the loka loka mountain he has to actually keep a sudarshan chakra in the front because it's completely dark because the sunlight is not going over there the loka loka mountains are taller than the orbit of the sun so there is not a pinch of sunlight which goes there and therefore it's jet black or very dark and then the sudarshan chakra lights up the whole path for krishna and arjuna to travel so because there is no light over there there is no life also over there beyond the loka loka mountains so that is the importance of the sun god in giving life he is the life and soul of this universe in that in that sense so the current sun god who is there his name is vivaswan and we hear about this vivaswan in the bhagavad gita where krishna is telling arjuna that before you i had imparted this science to the sun god vivaswan so he was the first disciple of lord krishna to receive direct instructions from um, krishna about the science of the bhagavad gita so that is the important position which the sun god or vivaswan holds so in fact the appearance and disappearance of krishna like prabhupada uses the appearance and disappearance of the sun to make us understand about the appearance and disappearance of krishna so in many purports prabhupada describes that the appearance and disappearance of krishna is like the movement of the sun so just as the sun does not cease to exist when it is out of our vision you know just because it rises in the east that does not mean the east is um, the father of the sun or the mother of the sun that does not mean like that and it does not mean that just because it is rising in the east the sun is not present anywhere else obviously it's present somewhere else in some other country or in some other um, part of the universe it is present so in the same way prabhupada says that just because krishna is um, appearing in one place that does not and then disappearing from that place winding up his fast tense and going going away that does not mean that he is ceasing to exist and prabhupada says this can be best understood by the sun the movement of the sun it is not that the sun ceases to exist just because let's say it's night in melbourne no it is obviously we know we have studied enough science we know the sun is already there somewhere else so the sun is eternally existing eternally means till the universe is existing it is existing in all parts of this universe and it's just that it is appearing in one place and it is coming into our vision and then it is going out of our vision from that particular place so in the same way lord krishna appears in our vision for some time and then he goes out of our vision for some time but it is as soon as he is going out of our vision here obviously he is there in the vision of somebody else So Prabhupada says that for Krishna's these pastimes that are happening, as soon as Putna gets killed over here, she is getting killed in another universe. Then she is getting killed in another universe. So that is how you know Eton, the pastimes of Krishna. Or he is lifting Govardhan Parvat here. Next moment he is lifting in another universe. Next moment he is lifting in another universe. Like that continuously his pastimes are going on, just as continuously the sun is existing everywhere in this universe. In fact, it is said also that when a jiva leaves. you know we were caught up uh, seeing in the chapter before that the destruction and all so when the and we studied it in our 12th canto the keshavaru which is about to end up the vedanta course is about to end now so in that also we see that when destruction happens there are four types of destruction and the final destruction is when the soul actually gets liberation he realizes his eternal position 
as the servant of the Lord and he gets liberated from this material universe. So that is also mentioned in um, the Bhagavatam and we are seeing that Krishna's disappearance and appearance is um, explained to us by Srila Prabhupada through the movements of the sun. So Srimad Bhagavatam definitely concludes that the sun moves in its orbits and it's not stationary. So we heard again, you know, in the previous chapter, we will hear in the next chapter also about the geocentric and heliocentric model of the universe. And when the temple of Vedic planetarium comes, we will be able to see. They are, you know, going to depict this beautiful universe, the structure of the universe and how everything is actually moving around the pole star. How that is the anchor and even the sun actually orbits around the pole star. So modern, uh, like you know, it is not stationary as modern science is. We all studied in our school that the sun is stationary and all the planets are revolving around the sun. But in this case, we can see that the sun is moving and it actually moves very fast. The speed of the sun, I think, is 2000 yojanas or something like that per second. In a one moment, the sun is going that much distance. So it's rotating quite fast. The speed is very big. In fact, Uttrayanam and Dakshinayanam. We know that, you know, from that we come to know that the sun moves. So for six months the sun moves on the northern side and for six months the sun moves on the southern side. And Prabhupada says that therefore we know that wherever there is summer, so we, because we live in the southern hemisphere, we can, you know, we are direct witnesses of this. So we have exactly opposite seasons in Australia. Like in India and other parts of the world, when there is summer going on in May, June, July, for us that is peak winter months in Australia. And December, January, February is peak winter in other countries. They are, you know, blanketed under snow. But we have proper summer here, the beach with thongs and all that. So we can see that this is because of the iron. The sky is divided into sections. And for six months, the sun is on the northern side, which is called Uttrayanam, which is actually considered a very auspicious period. So again speaking of Mahabharata and Bhishma Parva, where at the end of the Bhishma Parva, Lord uh, Bhishma Dev actually dies and like he falls down. So that time it is described that he is waiting for Uttrayana. That is why he is not leaving this. He had that boon as we know that he will leave his body at his choice, the choice of his um, uh, uh, time of his choice. So he was waiting for Uttrayana to happen. So even though he fell down many days ago, he still waited till Uttrayana happened and then he left this world. So that is the movement of the sun. When it's in the northern side, it is very auspicious and you know many auspicious activities take place during that time. So and we see in the uh, verse uh, that we read, the 13th verse that is there on the board, we see that there are 12 months which are cal calculated to be its 12 spokes of the wheel. So just understanding a little bit about the time, how time is calculated in according to Veda astronomically. So it is given, Prabhupada says that one truti, it starts with the tiniest measurement of time and the smallest measurement of time which is called as one truti. So one truti is 8 by 13,500 seconds. That is one truti. Then we move forward, the next one is one vedha which is 8 by 135 seconds. Then we have one lava which is 8 by 45 seconds. Now this lava word we have heard in the famous verse where it says lava matra sadhu sangha sarva siddhi hoi. So a movement of association of a sadhu can give us, uh, open the doors of liberation, can give us Krishna Bhakti. So that lava is actually 8 by 45th second. That much association of a sadhu is enough for someone to come into Krishna Bhakti. So higher than that is one nimesha. One nimesha is 8 by 15th second. Then we have one kshana. One kshana is 8 by 5 second. 
So in India, that word is used quite often. Vankshana, I will come in Vankshana. Vankshana means one moment. So actually, you have to come back in 8.5 seconds. And then we have one Pashtha. One Pashtha is 8 seconds. Then one Lagu. So one Lagu is 2 minutes. Then we have one Danda. One Danda is 30 minutes. And then we have one Prahara. So Prahara we have heard many times. So one Prahara is 3 hours. It lasts for 3 hours. And then we have one day, which is made up of 12 hours. And similarly, one night is also made up of 12 hours. And together, these days and nights, days and nights together, it's one paksha. And one paksha is 15 days. So if you see in our calendars also, in the Hindu calendars, especially, even in our Iskand calendars, it's mentioned. So we have something called Krishna paksha and Shukla paksha. So Krishna Paksha is the dark fortnight and the Shukla Paksha is the bright fortnight. So you know that is the phase from uh, new moon to full moon to new moon. Like that, that cycle which goes on is called as one Paksha. And two such Pakshas or two such fortnights make up one month. And then the 12 months comprise one calendar year, which is what we are reading over here. That the 12 months are calculated to be 12 spokes. So that is the way time is calculated according to astronomy. Now the sun is situated vertically between Bhur and Bhuva uh, Loka, it is mentioned. So the sun rotates through the time circle of uh, different zodiac signs. Again, you know, uh, going by this verse, the translation of this verse and how each section of the wheel is representing different, different things. So the sun rotates through this time circle of different zodiac signs. Now we know there are 12 zodiac signs, so when we are born we know which zodiac sign we are like Scorpio, Capricorn, Sagittarius. So these are the 12 zodiac signs and the sun goes through these 12 zodiac signs when it's rotating through its orbit. And it assumes different names according to the house or the constellation of the zodiac sign that it is in. So when the sun is in Capricorn it has a different name, when it is in Sagittarius it has a different thing. Like that it has different names when it goes. So the one month that we are talking about is actually equal to the time the sun spends in one of these zodiac signs. That is one month it is described. And uh, the two months, so two zodiac signs are two months constitute a season. And therefore there are six seasons, again like it mentions over here. The six seasons are the sections of its rim. So there are six, actually there are six seasons. We know only of three or four seasons. Actually in modern science we talk about three or four seasons only. But there are six seasons in a year. And these six seasons are Basanta. Basanta means spring. Then we have Grishma Rutu. Grishma Rutu is summer. Then we have Varsha Rutu which is monsoon. So we don't have a monsoon season in Australia, in Melbourne especially. So when rain falls anytime it wants to come. Spring also it's rain, winter also it's rain. So anytime there is no monsoon season. But there is actually monsoon season in India. All of us are aware of that. So that is Varsha Rutu. Then there is Sharad Rutu which is autumn. Then there is Hemant Rutu which is called as pre-winter. And then there is Shishi which is winter season. So these are the six seasons and they are nothing but the sun spending two months in two constellations. So that is that becomes one season months it spends in two constellations and the 12 months in total the aggregate the aggregate of these 12 months is called a Sambatsara which is again what we are reading over here the chariot of the sun god has only one wheel which is known as Sambatsara now Sambatsara is a term which many Indians must have heard because Sambatsara is actually you know there are 60 Sambatsaras it is mentioned and then the cycle keeps repeating of those 60 Sambatsaras so it is 
obviously the samatsara is one wheel of the sun, the sun god chariot and in many cultures we have gone. I was seeing even in Telugu there is samatsara in Kannada, in Gujarati I know we had samatsara because whenever the new year would happen my mother would read that panchang. Panchang is you know the whatever predictions are there for the next year and with samatsara has started what will it bring in the year all those predictions are there. So right now I was seeing this 2021 samatsara is called Plava. And Plava Samvatsara is, you know, represents, it's represented by wisdom and knowledge. So hopefully, you know, we all get some wisdom and knowledge from the study of our scriptures. So according to the movement of the sun, the moon and the other planets, the inhabitants of the universe, like truth is always going into different constellations, going into different zodiac signs, the inhabitants of the universe actually experience auspicious or inauspicious situations in their life. And that is called the influence of the planets on us. So we see that they are also called as dashas. So when you see astrology, like obviously Gangeshwar Prabhu can throw more light on this. But when we see our astrological charts, we see oh you have this dasha going on and that is why your period is not good. So health won't be good for example. Or if the sun is in another house and that is an auspicious period let's say. Or it's an auspicious uh, situation. Then you will see increase in wealth. You might get a good job. Or um, you might, you know, get some good position in your office, something like that. Or you might um, see that there is a disaster in the world because the sun is going through this particular constellation. So all these auspicious and auspicious situations come in our lives because of the movements of these different planets through these different zodiac signs. And therefore it is said that the followers of Vedic culture do not, um, do not neglect you know, even Prabhupada was very careful about what time should be left, which is a good time, which is not a good time. Prabhupada was very careful about all this. So, he, the followers of Vedic life and Vedic culture do not neglect the worship of the sun god. They actually said that people who do Agnihotra sacrifices and all that, they worship sun god for their own benefit. <coughs> and they worship Surya Dev because of that. And not only in our Vedic culture. But in different, I was doing some research on the history of sun worship. And it is said that in many, many, many different cultures, the sun has always, always been worshipped. Now we might say that, you know, when we talk about Krishna, for example, or Ram or any form of the Lord that has come in this world, sometimes people might say that, no, 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 he is an Indian God. Because they appear in Bharat Varsha. Bharat Varsha is, you know, Punya Bhumi. So most of the incarnations take birth in Bharat Varsha. And therefore, sometimes, you know, that tag comes as Indian God. But for the sun, no one can put that tag, that he is Indian God, because the sun is present everywhere. So the sun has been worshipped through many, many, many different civilizations and different cultures. The early Egyptians used to worship the sun God, the Romans used to worship Babylon, Babylonians used to worship Mexicans, Peruvians, they all used to worship the sun God. So in Egypt, or Egyptians used to call the sun God as Ra. And it is mentioned, like in the Egyptian culture, it is mentioned that Ra drives this chariot throughout the heavens. So see how much similarity is there between our uh, understanding and their understanding. And Greeks, Greeks also call the sun god as Helios. And they also say that yes, Helios travels on the chariot throughout the, they say the heavens. And to honor the sun god or to celebrate the sun god, the Greeks actually create a huge chariot, a magnificent chariot is created which is drawn by horses. So again they know that the sun's chariot is drawn by horses and then they take it on a cliff and towards the sea. That is how the Greeks celebrate, there is a huge procession in the Greek culture. Even the Native Americans, 
So there is a tribe in Native Americans called the Plains tribe. And they also worship the sun god by doing what is called a sun dance. In honor of the sun god they do it. Like in the early morning when the sun is rising they do the sun dance. So coming back to Vedic culture, in India also, the sun god is worshipped generally. Like sun god has been worshipped through all cultures. Like sometimes you know only Vaishnavas will worship Krishna or Shaivites will worship Lord Shiva. But sun is universal. He is worshipped by all cultures even in India. No one will say in our culture we don't worship sun god. No one will claim like that. So generally sun god is worshipped by offering Ardhya. Ardhya or water to sun god when the sun is rising in the morning and by chanting of 12 mantras. So again, you know, speaking of my childhood, I remember my mother used to make me do that. She will give me water in one lota, copper is used usually. And she will make me go outside and offer uh, water to the sun god. Whenever I wake up, obviously I was not waking up at sunrise at that time. But usually sun god is worshipped at sunrise. And again at sunset as well, you know, he's offered and he's going to, so during the sandhya times he is worshipped. And there are 12 names of Surya which are chanted when worshipping the sun god. And these 12 names have different meanings and they are really nice, the meanings of the names of the sun god. So the first name of Surya, the first mantra which is chanted when people worship Surya Day by offering water is Om Nipraya Namaha. And the meaning of this name is that he is the friend of everyone. He does not discriminate. He does not say I will only favor this person because he is my friend and I will not favor this one. No. He gives his light and heat to everybody irrespective. He does not do bhed. Bhed or he does not do that discrimination. So he is friend of everyone. The second mantra is Om Ravaye Namaha. Om Ravaye Namaha means Ravi, which means the shining or the radiant one. The third mantra is Om Suryaya Namaha. So Surya also, one of the meanings of Surya is also the soul. So he is the soul of this universe because he gives the light and um, heat and he is the dispeller of darkness. That is also the meaning of Surya Namaha. Om Bhanave Namaha. That's the fourth mantra which means the bright one or the one who illuminates everything. The fifth one is Om Khagaya Namaha. So the Khagaya Namaha is because he moves through the sky. Like I was mentioning the sky is divided into two portions and one side is northern side and one side is the southern side. And the ayans, the Uttrayanam and the Dakshinayam happen because of the movement of the sun on the northern or the southern side. So that is Om Khagaya Namaha. Om Pushane Namaha. Pushane Namaha means he is giving nourishment and fulfillment. So that is the meaning of Pushane Namaha. Om Hiranya Garbhaya Namaha. That means the golden colored brilliant personality. So it is mentioned also that Hiranya Garbha is or Vivaswan. These are the different names of the sun god. This is the personality who enters the sun planet and therefore he is also called as Hiranya Garbhaya Namaha. Om Mari Chaya Namaha. Mari Chaya Namaha means he is the giver of light, infinite light he keeps giving. Therefore he is also called Mari Chaya Namaha. Om Adityaya Namaha. So Adityaya Namaha because he is the son of Aditi. Now there are different versions for this. In the Markandeya Purana, it is mentioned that uh, the uh, origin of the sun is mentioned in the Markandeya Purana that when we know that you know the universe was created and then Brahma is first born on the navel from the navel of Lord Vishnu and he is on the top of that lotus flower and then there is darkness everywhere and Brahma doesn't know, he is trying to find out the origin, he doesn't know what to do, then he hears the lapping of the water against uh, the stem of the lotus and he hears the word tapa. So then he does austerities and after that Brahma recites the mantra Om. It is said in the Markandeya Purana and the Vedas also come out of his mouth. 
So it is said that this poem which came out of Brahma's mouth was very illuminating. It illuminated all the directions and the Vedas because knowledge is also illuminating. So they illuminated the entire directions and that became the sun god. And that is how the sun's origin is described. He is a combination of Om and the Vedas. So that is described in the Markandeya Purana. But in the Brahmanda Purana it is described that the sun was born of Kashyapa and Aditi. Because Aditi is the day of mother of all the demigods. So she is the mother of the sun god as well and therefore his name is Adityayana. So these are the two origins of the sun god. The next mantra is Om Savitre Namaha. means one who is responsible for life. The eleventh mantra is Om Arkaya Namaha. Arkaya Namaha means worthy of praise or glory. He should be praised, he should be glorified. And the last mantra, the twelfth Surya mantra by offering water through Surya Dev is Om Bhaskaraya Namaha which means he gives wisdom, he is the giver of wisdom. And we heard that also, Sri Chaitanya Prabhu was saying in the uh, couple of days ago when he was giving class, that even Hanuman, who is considered the emblem of knowledge, he got, he was a disciple of Surya Dev. He got his knowledge and he got all the uh, Vedic instructions from Surya Dev. He was, uh, Surya Dev was saying that I don't have place in my school and Hanuman said, I will learn from you while you are orbiting, no problem. And he said, but you should not face your back to me when I'm orbiting. So Hanuman was going backwards and he was listening to all the instructions from Surya Dev and still he was able to keep up with the speed of Surya Dev, even though he was going backwards. So that is the glory of Hanuman. So this is how by chanting the 12 mantras, Surya mantras and offering water, Surya Dev is worshipped by millions of people across India. And it is mentioned, we know in the Bhagavatam it is mentioned that Radharani and the gopis, used to every day do Surya Puja. And on the north side of Radha Kund, if we go even today, there is Surya Kund in Vrindavan. So that Kund is the place where Radharani and the gopis used to go and worship Surya Dev. And obviously in that pretext, they wanted to meet Krishna and uh, have some pastimes with him. But they also regularly used to worship Surya Dev. And the modern way in which sun is worshipped, again, you know, it has become an integral part of yoga, is Surya Namaskar or sun salutations. So somebody has circulated a video some time ago, even when Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India had gone to Japan on a visit, there were hundreds or thousands of Japanese who had you know, assembled to uh, welcome him and they all did Surya Namaskar or Sun Salutation. So this is how you know modern people, so it's, it's become a yoga sun and obviously it promotes health and well-being but the purpose of Surya Namaskar is to offer Namaskar or it's, offered to, um, it's actually to offer our gratitude to Surya Dev. And that is, that is the purpose of the Surya Namaskar which has become very popular all over the world. Now Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that Surya Atma Atma Veno Upashyaha which means the actual life and soul of all living entities within this universe is the sun. Like we already saw, he is the life and soul, he is the king of all planets and without him nothing can exist. No life can exist, nothing can exist in this universe without the sun. So therefore, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that he is Upashyama, he is worshipable. And how do we worship? So Srila Prabhupada says that devotees, we generally worship sun god by chanting the Gayatri Mantra, the first Gayatri Mantra which is also called as Brahma Gayatri. And which is, you know, in India you go, in all the shops, most of the shops it will be sometimes playing outside the shops on a recorded, like we have Prabhupada jukebox like that it keeps playing, the Om Guru Vasvaha Mantra. 
So that is nothing but the way we worship Sun God because that mantra is Sun God's mantra. When we start getting after Dhamma initiation, when we do our Gayatri or Raja. So we saw in the previous sections of Bharat Varsha when you know different inhabitants of different Varshas were offering prayers. Um, they always had one tree or tree dominating deity in every planet. And Prabhupada says that all these deities in different different planets, different different Varshas are actually descendants of the sun and the moon. They are the origin of all these deities. So they come through the sun god. Even planet earth, there are two Kshatriya, famous Kshatriya dynasties as we know. One is the sun dynasty and one, is, one dynasty is coming from the sun and one is coming from the moon. So it's called Surya Vanshi and Chandra Vanshi and Lord Ramchandra who is you know none other than Krishna he appeared as in the Surya Vamsh and Krishna appeared in the Chandra Vamsh even Raja Harish Chandra he had also appeared in the Surya Vamsh so like that Ikshvaku it started with Ikshvaku and then all the dynasty came where Lord Ram also chose to appear so these are the two famous dynasties which are also coming from the sun and moon along with all the predominating deities of other planets they are also actually coming from the sun and moon now much of all this information that we see, the movements of the sun, how much time it spends in each constellation, what is the speed at which it goes, all this information about the orbits of sun and different planets is actually derived from a book called Surya Siddhanta. And this was written in a very very early, in some 800 BC or something like that it was written. And it is said that it was revealed by the sun god himself actually. When we go back to the origin of Surya Siddhanta, Maya Dana wanted to understand the glories of, you know, and the movement of the sun and all that. And there was astronomical books on that, but they had got lost. The knowledge had got lost. So Maya Dana actually wanted to study it once again. And then Surya sends a messenger and he directly instructs Maya Dana on the Surya Siddhanta. Now why we are mentioning about Surya Siddhanta book? Because none other than our Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur actually translated that book when he was very young. I think during his college days or something like that, he translated that book into Bengali language. So we know Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur is Simha Guru. He is the lion guru. He was a cutting, uh, you know, guru who used to cut Sahajyas and Mayavadis and all that. But he was also a very astute astrologer. He had studied astrology in great detail and therefore he was able to translate this book into Bengali language. And because he translated this book, he was given the title of Siddhanta from that time onwards. That is how he got the name Bhakti Siddhanta and the Saraswati Goswami was given to him obviously when he took sannyas. So that's how the whole name is Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So as we as mentioned over here in verse 17 which had a purport, we saw that Arunadev is the chariot driver of the sun god. It is mentioned over here. Now Arunadev is none other than the brother of Garuda. And they both are the son, uh, uh, their mother is I think Sunita or Sarita, I forgot that name. But So Arunadev is the brother of Garuda and he is also the chariot driver of the sun god as mentioned in today's verse. Now the meaning of Aruna is one whose hue is reddish brown. Reddish brown or maroonish or red or crimson color. That is the meaning of Aruna. That is why we see the Arunodaya, there is a prayer called Arunodaya prayer also in our song book. So that is the meaning of this Aruna and he is the chariot driver of uh, Lord Krishna. So he is also called as the god of red morning because of that. Now if we see in any vehicle or any chariot, when the chariot comes and we see, we first see the chariot driver. 
you know as soon as a chariot becomes visible to us the first thing person who becomes visible is the chariot driver because he sits in front of the passenger obviously so therefore when we see that the sun rises the driver is first to be seen and therefore we see before we see the whole golden hue of the sun when it rises we first see that the whole sky becomes a reddish color there is a reddish hue in the sky or there is like a crimson color in the sky and that is because aruna dev is coming first we have seen him come first and then we will see surya dev come first so that is that is the significance of this chariot driver of aruna dev so there is a very beautiful prayer which prabhupad mentions in one of his purports for aruna dev and um, i'll just read the translation of this prayer it says o lord aruna chief of the lord who transforms the horizon into red your magnificence magnificence sign your shine is like a mandala you enthusiastically drive the mighty chariot of surya dev and thus make possible the arrival of dawn to you who is the color of blood who is the commander of light i offer my respectful obeisances so this is beautiful prayer is there for aruna dev because he actually brings dawn and then surya dev follows with the bright yellow color now it is also mentioned in this verse we saw that the upper axle of the surya dev's chariot is connected to dhruvaloka because like we said you know dhruvaloka that will come in the next um, chapter when we see the orbits of the planets dhruvaloka is almost like the shape of a veil i remember when we studied the fifth canto with keshav prabhu we had gone into great detail and prabhu had actually shown us some nice videos which are there about this so it is in the shape of a whale or a fish or something like that and every planet is actually anchored in its orbit or and connected to dhruvaloka everything everybody pays respect to dhruvaloka by going around dhruvaloka or the pole star so it is said that this uh, sun as sun chariot axle is also connected to dhruvaloka by a rope of wind now it does sound very esoteric when we see rope of wind here there is wind everywhere how do you imagine a rope of wind but it is mentioned that um you know i was again doing some research about this and um it is mentioned that there has to be when we say these connections these planets are fastened in their orbit to dhruvaloka or the pole star there must be some invisible plasma filaments which are connecting them in their orbit to the pole star now modern science has proved this for us so there is an article which was published by the maths and physical science department of ucl ucl is london's global university where it is said that they have suddenly discovered obviously through their astronomical tools like telescopes and all that they have discovered that there is a magnetic rope which was observed for the first time between saturn and sun so they found a connection between saturn and sun but obviously it's a connection between all the planets through um, dhruvaloka so this magnetic rope it states that in the article that these twisted helically structured magnetic fields are called flux ropes and they are strong enough to keep planets pulled in their orbits and this is what modern science also discovered we see rope of wind sometimes if you tell to someone they will just brush it off saying that you guys believe in mythology and what esoteric things you are saying but this has been proved for us by science also by none other than ucl university of london they are saying that there are magnetic ropes which are keeping everything in control like they are keeping them attracted in keeping them fixed in their orbit just as gravitational pull is keeping us you know on this earth planet in the same way these high magnetic electromagnetic ropes are keeping them all fastened in their orbits 
Now coming to the next, so we spoke about Aruna Dev, and then it is also mentioned that um, the chariot, sun's chariot, is drawn by seven horses. And we saw in the verse, in the translation, Prabhupada writes that these uh, seven horses are the Vedic meters. So um, Vedic meters is also called the Vedic prosody. Prosody means the different types of chandas which are used in poetic language. So therefore, these are the seven Vedic meters of chandas which are used. Which we read the description where it says that it is um, Gayatri, Brihati, Ushnik, Jagati, Krishtu, Anushtu, and Pankti. So these are the different chandas or the meters in which poetry is written or Sanskrit language is written. So these that is represented by these seven horses. It is also uh, described in you know different parts. Obviously, we don't know whether it is proved in the Bhagavatam or in the Vedas, but that these seven horses are of different colors. Each of the horses of different color, and therefore they are also called. They represent vibhyor. Vibhyor is when you know sunlight is white, and then it gets divided into these seven colored lights, and you know that these are the lights we see in the rainbow as well. So each horse represents a different color in that vibhyor: violet, indigo, blue, red, orange, yellow. All those colors are there of the for the horses because that's the sunlight which is getting divided into these different colors by the seven horses. And the seven horses also represent the seven days of the week. So Sunday to uh, Monday, they represent the seven days of the week. So the Vedic meters, the seven colors of Vidyal, and the seven days of the week, all three are represented by these seven horses. So this is a little bit about the description of the sun planet, the movement of the sun, and you know Aruna Dev and the horses. Now. We'll spend the next few minutes discussing some of the glories and how Sun is and um, he's a servant of the Lord and he does not uh, he carries out the order of the Lord very diligently and religiously. So we heard, you know, in the previous speakers were also saying that, and we saw in this verse which we discussed from Brahma Samhita, how the Sun is rotating in its orbit under the order of the supreme personality of Godhead. Now, if the Sun moves even slightly from its orbit, we might burn. Because too much heat will come on the uh, to the planets, and if it moves even little bit away, we might freeze to death. So it is perfect. Krishna's arrangement is perfect in terms of the sun's orbit, and the sun is also faithful and loyal servant. He doesn't think, okay, let me experiment and see. Thoda idhar jata ho, thoda I'll go a little bit this side or that side. No, he's he's a very very obedient servant of the supreme lord. And we see this in many other pastimes as well. There are beautiful pastimes where the sun god is an obedient servant of the supreme lord. So the first is he is obviously we already discussed. He is the first disciple of Lord Krishna, whom Lord Krishna imparted the science of Bhagavad Gita, uh, Vivaswan. The, the description is there in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So that is how he serves the Lord. He also serves as a bridge between Vrindavan and Dwarka pastimes. So it is mentioned by Lalita Madhava, which is a book written by Rupa Goswami, where um, once Krishna had left Vrindavan and gone, the Radharani and all the gopis were facing immense separation from Krishna. And because of their immense separation, they were all ready to give up their bodies. So uh, some of the go like one of the gopi goes on top of Govardhan Parvat and leaves gives, gives up a body over there, it is said. Some of them just enter into a cave and go into Samadhi. And coming to Radharani, she was everywhere she was seeing Krishna. Anything black she would see, she would remember Krishna. That much separation she was feeling from Krishna. So one day she was sitting on the bank of the Yamuna. 
and we all know the color of the yamuna is slightly blackish blue so when radharani saw this she suddenly went into transcendental ecstasy and into viraha uh, viraha bhav like the separation from krishna and that ecstasy was so strong because she was remembering krishna through the color of the yamuna that she dived into the yamuna and it is mentioned that once she dived into the yamuna surya dev actually comes and rescues her from the yamuna and he takes her to his house or to his planet and there radharani stays for some time with surya dev and then surya dev comes and gives his uh, daughter to um, king satraji and that is none other than she becomes satyabhama in dwarka leela so this is the transition that happens from vrindavan to dwarka and that is you know lalita madhav is that play which was written by rupa goswami to show how every gopi again comes in dwarka leela to assist krishna in his pastimes or participate in the pastimes so radharani becomes satyabhama and as the sun god delivers her to uh, as satyabhama to king satraji along with the beautiful shyamantaka jewel and that is how satrajit comes in possession of his yamantaka jewel which used to produce millions and i don't know how much quantity of gold every day and whoever used to wear that that shyamantaka uh, jewel was as illuminating as the sun so it is said also once when satrajit was coming to dwarka all the residents thought surya dev has come to visit visit uh, krishna because many times many gods used to come to visit krishna so they go and tell krishna that oh today surya dev has come to see you and then when krishna receives satrajit he realizes that no this is not surya dev this is actually king satrajit who is wearing the shyamantaka jewel and the illumination is almost like surya dev and then the whole pastime unfolds actually krishna says that when you are in possession a citizen is for is in possession of such a beautiful jewel which gives gold it should actually be given to the king so the king can use it for the benefit of all citizens and we know satrajit was not agreeing and then his brother may takes the jewel and goes hunting and a lion kills and then in jambavan you know it goes the lion leaves the jewel into uh, the cave of jambavan where uh, a child is playing and then krishna's name is tarnished here satrajit starts blaming krishna you stole the jewel you stole the jewel and even lord krishna has to bear the brunt of ill fame or in fame so he but and krishna takes efforts it's not that he doesn't care he takes efforts to clear his name so he actually goes into the forest and he finds out what happened to this jewel and you know it's described in the krishna book they have a fight jambavan does not realize this is my own worshipful lord lord ram who has come as krishna so they have a fight for many days then he realizes when he can't defeat krishna that this is none other than my worshipful lord so along with the jewel he presents his daughter also jambavati at that time so this you know jewel has cannot it delivers satyabhama as a queen and it also delivers jambavati as a queen so that is the role sun god plays in um, having this bridge between vrindavan and dwarka pastimes another place where sun god is a very faithful servant of lord krishna is again in mahabharat so during the mahabharat war um, we know we have read in the mahabharat that jayadrath he actually played a key role in killing abhimanyu and arjuna was very grief stricken when his young son was killed very uh, unfairly you know again when i was reading bhishma parva when i was preparing for this um, class in the bhishma parva it is actually described all the rules are laid out of the war and they are so glorious when you read those uh, rules you find out that wars used to be so glorious in the olden days we have these world war 1 world war 2 which all happened and there was no rules that are followed you know so much of assassination of the jewish the jewish holocaust that happened but if you see these wars which were fought during the vedic times 
it is said that you should be fighting a foot soldier should fight with a foot soldier a, a person who is an elephant should fight with a person in an elephant chariot person should fight only with a, another person who is on a chariot strength should be equally matched the weapon also should be matched not that one is with a gun and one is with a sword and you are trying to kill with a sword and the person killed you with the gun so the weapons also should be equally matched four people should only fight with sword warriors like that so such nice rules are there do not attack when somebody's back is to you do not attack attack when they are weak or they are in a panic situation it is said even you cannot attack your opponent even if they are panicked you should wait till their panic goes and then you should have the war so such beautiful rules are there but we know abhimanyu was you know very unfairly killed so many warriors surrounded one young boy and they killed him they created that uh, chakravyu and they killed abhimanyu and jayadrat played a major role in that so arjuna takes a vow he says that tomorrow i will kill jayadrat by uh, sunset if i don't kill jayadrat by sunset then i will commit suicide he takes that vow and jayadrat comes to know it's not that these vows were secret they everybody came to know about this vow so when jayadrat came to know about this vow he said oh very good i will not go to the war only tomorrow then how will he kill and we will see arjuna kill himself nobody has to take the effort also of killing him so jayadrat goes and hides somewhere and nobody knows where he has hidden and here krishna and arjuna are looking for jayadrat all over the battlefield but they are not able to find and obviously krishna is omniscient yatra yogeshwara krishna wherever he is there they will be uh, vijay or they will be a uh, success and krishna does not worry about bending rules at all when it is for establishment of dharma he is not worried about bending rules so he realizes that this jayadrat is hiding somewhere and he knows that arjuna is very true to his word he will commit suicide if he is not able to kill jayadrat and obviously he doesn't want the war to end like that because if arjuna commits suicide and dies his brothers will also be very grief stricken and they might also give up the idea of fighting so what happens was that sandhya actually happens they are not able to see a jayadrat anywhere in sandhya happens and arjuna becomes ready to commit suicide to enter the fire he says that i was not able to kill jayadrat but i had taken a vow that i will kill myself so he actually creates a fire a fire and he is ready to enter the fire and jayadrat gets this news this news that oh arjuna is ready to commit suicide so whenever an enemy is going to be uh, killed everybody wants to come and watch their enemy getting uh, destroyed or killed so jayadrat thought okay let me also go and enjoy this sight of arjuna killing himself so he actually comes out of hiding and he stands in front of arjuna as arjuna is about to enter the fire and he said see you couldn't kill me now go enter the fire and at that moment suddenly there is bright sunlight and arjuna is looking at krishna krishna is saying what you are looking at me it is still 2 o'clock in the afternoon pick your weapon and kill this jayadrat right now and that is when krishna reveals that he had actually because he realized jayadrat is uh, hiding he had actually that ishara ishara means like a gesture to sun god to cover himself so the sun god gets covered by the clouds and it the sun god gives actually an effect that he is it has he has set or sandhya has sunset or sandhya has happened so that is how sun god is such a faithful and loyal servant of lord krishna and then when jayadrat comes again krishna does that ishara that eye uh, gesture to sun god and he realizes okay now i have to come out in my full glory and then you know he comes that sandhya is gone and he is there is you know afternoon and full bright sunshine is there and arjuna is able to kill jayadrat and that's how the war is able to go on so this is how the sun god serves krishna in different different situations 
again speaking of mahabharat and the glories of sun god so we know kunti maharani had served durvasamuni very nicely and he blesses her with a mantra by which she can invoke any god of her choice and she was only she was a young girl maybe 12 or 13 years old young girl she was and just you know playfully she wanted to test the efficacy and the power of the mantra so she chants the mantra invoking sun god and then sun god appears over there she is very dazzled like she is very it's dazzling because sun god is you know brought so much light into the room and then she she doesn't know what to do so she offers obeisances and all that and she said thank you so much for coming now you can go because i was just testing the mantra so sun god said no no now that i have come i have to give you something and go so i will give you a son and kunti marani said no how can i accept a son i am a young and married girl and still a virgin i can't accept a son from you he said no since you have invoked me you have to take this as my prasad or my blessing so he but she says no then who will marry me if i have already delivered a child i will no longer be a virgin who will marry me and then sun god gives her the blessing as well he says okay you will get the son but he will be born from your urine and that is why the name karana is there because he was born kan kan means karana he was born from the year of kunti marana so again we see this whole you know role with sun god plays and um, even in the past time of go karana and Dun, uh, his brother dundi dundi kari dundi kari dundi kari yes so, dundu kari dundu kari so we know dundu kari had done so many impious activities and he had become a ghost and go karana actually wanted to deliver his brother from becoming a ghost and go back to god and impossible because go karana was a very great devotee of the lord so they try so they consult he consult so many different sages he consult so many different vedic scriptures on how i can deliver my son but nothing works or my brother but nothing works because dudukari had performed so many impious activities that nothing could help him and then he was advised gokarna was advised that go and take advice from the sun god on what to do he will be able to guide you so again you know talking about sun god and what role he plays in these different pastimes so gokarna was so powerful that he was able to stop the sun for a moment in its orbit and he goes and consults the sun god and he says that what should i do i do want to deliver my brother gokarna and then sun it is the sun god who gave him that solution that where you know under that tree you sit down and recite the shrimad bhagavatam for 7 days and at the end of the 7th day your brother will be delivered and he will go back to god and back to goloka so this this advice was also again given by the sun god so we see the sun god plays so many different roles in terms of serving his master lord krishna and he plays an integral part in actually enhancing the pastimes of lord krishna as well at the same time being the life and soul of this entire universe so that is the glories of sun god so we end the class here it's time up surya dev bhagwan ki shrimad bhagavatam ki jai any questions comments or corrections Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to understand. Well, maybe perhaps you can help me to if my inference is correct regarding to the movement, movement of the sun and the effect. Um, you, you said that uh, the sun moves just in the Bhumanda, and his influence is in the over the area where it's. Uh, rotating, but uh, what about the uh, uh, 
felt that it resisted because the sun is not there. It's just a woman that is. So the sun is situated uh, between Bhu and Bhuvarloka. So Bhu and Bhuvarloka is this one where you know all Earth is there, Jamunita and all the other Deepas there, and Bhuvarloka is above us. So the orbit is between those two Lokas, yes. Uh, well, so, not, for example, Yana Loka, uh, the superior planetary systems, the sun doesn't have any effect? No, the, it illuminates all the three bodies, it is said. So the sunlight reaches the upper locals, upper locals as well. Its orbit is over here, but it is the sunlight is illuminating the upper locals as well. That is what is my understanding. So no, <coughs> the effect doesn't have for inferior planetary system. I I have read that Madhuri that uh, no the sunlight doesn't reach the lower planetary system. So we see that uh, there are different different like you know planets. There's the planet of the where all the snakes are living the Naga, so they have those dwells on their heads by which you know the fire or their uh, thing is illuminated. But in the very lower regions of hell, it is dark. Yeah. Why I'm asking is trying to understand the effect of time because you mentioned that uh, time happened because the influence of the movement of the sun and the influence of the sun is, as you said, in between the Loka. So the influence of the sun in upper planetary system and in um, lower planetary system is different. And the time also, it's manifested in As different, yes, Madhuri. Definitely the time effect is different. So it is mentioned that when we complete our six months, that Uttranayam, Dakshanayam, you know how the sun moves on the northern side and southern side, I think that constitutes one day and one night in Titruloka. So the sun has Obviously, based on the distance from the sun of all the different planets, it has different time effects. So, we've also heard the demigod's time frame is so long because our six months is one day of the demigod. So, we've heard these differences in the time calculations. So, what we are reading over here is concerning the boom under the timing that affects us, where we see the 12 months and all that, that is for this boom under that we are seeing. But it will obviously have different time connotations in the upper planetary systems and different connotations in the lower planetary systems. For example, with uh, different marshals, the demigods also living there, the influence of time should be the same, like our Bharata Varsha. From my limited understanding, yes, Madhaji, on this plane, I think the time the time effect will be the same, which you know, the, this, this, you know how it's a stack of series, we understand that with the stack of series, the structure of the universe. So this one series which is Bhu Mandala, which is consisting of different different Varshas, if my understanding is correct, then they will have the same time frame because they are on this horizontal plane. And also at the same time, sorry, uh, just trying to learn, because we, we also know that the Migos, they have their embassy in Yes. So they, they, probably they, they can see more the difference of the because they can do interplanetary planning. The influence up here is like this and upstairs or up it's quite different. Yes. Yes. Because for example when Kaliuga happens on Bhu Mandala, it's there is like a dark cloud. So the demigods can see there is Kaliuga time. So they can see that influence of time and it's said because during even Dwapar Yuga when Yudhishthir Maharaj used to do sacrifices, the demigods used to come and take the offerings from the sacrifices. But then when they see Kaliuga has started, they don't visit this mandala anymore because there is Kaliuga going on and they can see that influence, the dark influence of time. So you're right and yesterday also we saw no, like how the sun is traveling in different residences.
So we saw Indra Dev's residences on Manparvat, Yamaloka, Yamaraj's residences on Manparvat. So their residence might be somewhere else, like you said, and their planet might be somewhere else. So they definitely can see that change in time and the influence of time. Um, it's regarding to the past time that you said about uh, when Krishna killed Bhutan and this uh, in this universe, in another universe, it's also starting the past time to kill Bhutan. But according how we can reconcile that when Krishna killed Bhutan and gave her also the ability to be liberated and Or even the Mahabharata war. Oh, yeah. So many people kill. How is the same Bhutana? It's the mentality of Bhutana. It's personified different living entities, different pastimes. So, Mataji, this was also asked in relation to the Pandavas, I remember. Like, you know, for example, if the Pandavas are here, then obviously in the next moment their pastime is happening somewhere else also. So, I don't remember some, you know, when Maharaj was giving an answer, I don't remember correctly what he said, but from my understanding of what I remember was that yes, the pastimes are happening everywhere and it's, um, they just as the Lord expands, some of his associates also expand and they assist the Lord in his pastimes. But there are other associates, so for example, it is uh, said that when the, um, you know, like I was, I was talking about the four types of destruction that we just studied in the 12th canto. And the final destruction is when the soul realizes its position as a servant of Lord and is able to go out of this material world. So that time it is said that a person who has perfected his life as a Vaishnava in this world, they don't straight away go to Golok Vrindavan. They first are given you know, a chance to be part of pastimes of Krishna which are happening in any other universe. There they go practice you know, with Krishna, serving Krishna in that planet and then they go back. So I'm feeling reconciling both your questions. So some of the associates of the Lord also expand with the Lord and they like perform pastimes in different different universes. But then there are jivas, for example, like us, who perfect their life and then they are also given an opportunity to take part as depending on whatever rasa they might have. Someone might have media rasa, so they might take part in that particular Mahabharat war or something like that, and there they perfect their life and they go back to the spiritual world. So both, both the uh, things we consider over there and that's what I think I heard from one of the lectures which Maharaj was giving that yes they expand like Pandavas for example they expand so I'm assuming that now all these people expand to assist the Lord in their pastimes. Can we understand that the Yes, yes, I'll be speculating if I say anything for that. Because the, uh, the 
responsibility that he, he has uh, regarding to the other living entities, the benefit of the other living entities. So, based on that, that means his qualification to be able to assume such important position as a devotee, as a person, because depending the benefit of the life of other living entities. So, can we understand that also when we, some kind of other living entities or devotees, assume the responsibility that involve the benefit or influence with others, the, the demand or the importance of the qualification for them, can we understand that it's very important? Consider that it's not everybody can take position, it has to be a qualified one. So are you saying that learning from the Sun God devotee should also uh, take position of responsibility and stability, give stability to other living entities and assume responsibility? Is that what you're asking? Or if we do that, will we become Sun God? You're asking? Uh, no, 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 yeah. The yeah, first one. Extrapolating a bit in our practical experience, the yes. importance of being qualified to assume responsibility. 100% Because all these controllers of his one more, one more name, one more name of Surya Dev is Surya Narayan. Surya Narayan means he is actually an expansion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is also mentioned in some places. So definitely that is something we learn from the Sun God or any faithful servant of the Lord. Where you know we are obedient servants of the Lord, not even one you know second he goes here and there in this orbit. So definitely if devotees like that is like we see Srila Prabhupada's life also. How much responsibility he was assuming at that particular age. It is mentioned also, Srila Prabhupada did not want to come to the material world, but Krishna actually forced it, no, you go, I will be there with you. And therefore Srila Prabhupada took that responsibility of spreading Krishna consciousness, translating so many books, staying awake in the night, opening temples, inspiring the disciples. So definitely that is something which we learn from any faithful servant. And these demigods and they are all actually very uh, empowered living entities who are actually servants of the Lord. So yes, definitely we learn that particular quality from them. Quite important to consider the needs of others, others. more than my own needs. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Putting Krishna in the center and serving everyone as a servant of Krishna. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, because we 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 did the description of the movement of the sun and this chariot and how it's riding so fast. But then your son is riding on the chariot all the time, then he's got other things to do also, right? So, <laughs> how so does it get off or how does it work? So probably I was also wondering this. <laughs> and it is described, it will come further in the next two verses also, and I think in the next chapter also it comes. His chariot, like you know, he has other things to do, but his chariot itself, you we heard the size of his chariot. It's so huge, it is bigger than even some of the planets. So when he's riding, he's I'm I'm thinking he'll be able to do so many things while being on his chair. He doesn't have to sit like this and keep looking so that light comes out from him. Obviously. <laughs> his chariot is huge. It's it's you it's it's almost it, it's bigger, we know the size of the sun is bigger than so many other planets. So his chariot is huge, it is saying there are sixty thousand sages who are sitting and glorifying him every day and he's imparting Vedic knowledge so that 
all that school, you know, there is a school also going on why he is rotating on his orbit. So like you said, yes, he does all these things. He's imparting Vedic knowledge to so many people. There are so many sages who are sitting and glorifying him. There are some who are on the wheels, you know, there are different activities which will come up, the Vaikhiriyas and all that. So yes, he is doing other activities as well. He is married, he has two wives also. It's in, I think, Chaya and Sangya or something, two wives. He has children as well. So he, he's, he has proper life going on in that chariot. <laughs> but that's the plan, Madhuri, or there is a, is that chariot, is that, that itself is the planet, or there is a planet separate to the chariot? Good question. <laughs> it's a bit like a proper explain, you know, that the sun, and then the three levels of Brahman, when he gave the example of the Brahman, Paramatma, Mahavan, to understand the sun planet, and the sun itself is <coughs> It has its own identity and as a living entity, now, but it has his um, area, the influence, and all this that the sun itself has. So, Prabhuji's question is Is that sun chariot itself the sun planet? And I'm thinking, yes, Prabhuji, because we are talking about the orbit, no? so that's the sun which is going around. No? It's not that the sun is somewhere else in Surya, they was gone on a ride. <laughs> So it is the sun which is going on. So yes, that chariot is the sun planet. That's what I'm saying. That's why its size is given. It's so huge. It's his home and it's the planet. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions? Let me ask. Grantha Shri Mahaprabhu Ki, Shri Lal Prabhu Ki.